Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., and we're broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management. Before we jump into the show, just a couple of announcements for everybody. I feel like I'm uh, getting ready for school, right? And, And they're giving the announcements over the loudspeaker. September 10th is the first ever ASU Project Management Summit. Uh, Registration is now open. That's going to be an 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Arizona time event. All the sessions will be live. Uh, I'll be speaking there as well as uh, Eric Wright and Steve Fulmer, former guests on the show. Uh, So I would suggest everybody go out to uh, just Google ASU PM Summit a long URL, so it's a little easier to find it that way, and then go out and register, and we would love to see you there. Also, the PMO Impact Summit is coming up September 14th through the 26th. Registration for this is free, which is amazing. There are over 100 leaders from around the world presenting. Laura Bernard has done a fantastic job hosting this event. She has great speakers lined up, great sponsors, Uh, And again, I'd appreciate it if you checked out my session over there. You can go to PMOImpactSummit.com and register for that event. Lastly, of course, I want to thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They are home of the Purpose Driven PMO. If you visit ThePMOSquad.com, you'll learn more about how they can support you with all of your project management needs. And lastly, a reminder for everyone to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to see all of our upcoming episodes and, of course, listen to all of our previous episodes. We have a great lineup for you throughout the rest of the year, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback to see what we can do to make the show even better than it is right now. That's all of our announcements, so I'm excited to have two fantastic guests with us today, Cindy Dionisio and Mike Griffiths. Thank you both for joining me. Love it. Love being here. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, Cindy, if you could, please take a moment to share a bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure. So um, I'll start with me uh, personally first, you know, by doing project management for eh, 25 years, something like that. And I live out in this beautiful area called Temecula, California, Southern California. Uh, Southern California wine country. So um, that's me personally. Professionally, like I said, um, been managing projects for 25 years. I have the privilege of being an author. I've written about a dozen books on project management. I've been training for 20 years. I do consulting, contract PM, instructional design, stuff like that. So a little bit something different every day, which fits with project management. I always say, you know, I don't want to do the same thing two days in a row. So my life's kind of like that. Fantastic. And and the reason you're here with us today primarily is you're one of the co-leads on the rewrite here for the update of PMBOK 7, correct? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Mike, can you please introduce yourself as well to the audience? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So I'm Mike Griffiths. Um, I'm a contract project manager, also do some training and writing as well. My background, I'm originally from England, and I was lucky enough to be working for IBM um, back in the 90s as Agile was getting started. So my background's in Agile approaches, and I moved to two th- uh, moved to Canada in 2000. And so for the last 20 years, been working here. Um, I live in Canmore near Banff National Park, so another beautiful part of the world I'm lucky to live in. I've been involved with the Agile community, served on the board of the Agile Alliance, and been heavily involved in in that field, but also with PMI as well, and trying to get Agile approaches more widely accepted in the PMI sphere of things. So that's how I ended up working with Cindy. I was also the lead on the Agile Practice Guide and 
created some content for the sixth edition as well as some earlier editions. So, yeah, really happy to be working with Cindy and gaining from her experience and chatting to you today. Thanks so much for joining us. And I believe you're the uh, official title, right? The other co-lead on Pimbox 7. So for all of those who are uh, Pimbox fans, and I know there's millions of them around the world, uh, don't be too jealous that I'm here getting to hear from the two leads helping on the rewrite for this upcoming change with Pimbox. I ask, I guess, first question is, why are we changing, right? I mean, if it's not broke, why fix it? Uh, you know, 50 years worth of PMI and six editions of the PMBOK, all of a sudden, here comes number seven. Why are we having this change now? So I'll take that one. And anybody who works in this profession knows that it's evolving and maybe even faster than a lot of other professions are evolving. And I like to kind of start with the idea that, you know, projects are how we drive change. They're how we grow organizations. Ultimately, for what speaks to me is they're how we make the world a better place. And more than ever, project management skills aren't limited to those who have the title, right? So you might be a designer, you might be a scientist, you might be an admin, but sooner or later, you're going to find yourself working on a project, or managing a project. So our profession is evolving, maybe even to the point where it's not so important if you're a project manager. It's just that projects are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. So our skill set is needed. And so we can't just talk about it as do this and have these outputs. We have to evolve our standard and evolve our guide to recognize this. And another way that we're evolving, I look particularly at the role of product management. So product management has been kind of its own sphere and its own profession for a long, long time. In fact, little known fact, I I started my career in product management, which is kind of crazy, and then, you know, moved into project management. But Depending on the industry that you work in, if you're a product manager, you may use projects to make changes to your product or introduce new product lines. But if you work in the world of digital products, you're almost constantly in the realm of chronic upgrade and deployment. And I don't know if you can really call that a project. I don't know if it's operations because it's ongoing, but whatever you call it, You need our skills and the way we think. Um, Mike knows a lot about about this digital product management stuff. Mike, what's your take on that? Yeah, it really is a challenge in the software world, which is where I held from. Um, I've worked in organizations where we've built very successful systems. And the steering committee come back and say, so when are you guys done? Are you finished? Are you stopping now? Can we close this project? And because it's adding value to the business, they want to add more features, more integrations. They want to grow it. And all the successful projects, you know, have this lifespan and continue to grow. And it's always kind of been at odds a little bit. And the whole no projects movement is a hashtag that um, is popular linked to the agile community, but not necessarily related to agile. It talks about how Many of our digital products don't end, you know, or only end when the company goes out of business. So if you think about Amazon's um, website or or Google's or whatever, you know, they built that website, but they're always evolving it. And so it's an ongoing thing. And the definition of a project, you know, includes the temporary nature. And a lot of our digital products aren't temporary anymore. You know, they, they continue. And so the whole no projects and the whole digital product life cycle comes into play. And I think when we're in that digital space, knowledge transfer and knowledge and handoffs, you know, are a potential for losing critical information. And so we don't want to hand over to operations because potentially you miss some element or of knowledge there and you introduce new risks. And so a lot of digital first organizations are standing up product teams that take a solution from cradle 
all the way through its development and its operations. And so they have long-standing teams um, that continue to add features and evolve it. And this is just one of the characteristics that we were seeing emerging in the industry that, you know, some organizations, projects as with their temporary nature isn't the best vehicle for delivering value. And so we we tried to look beyond the time frame and try and figure out, well, what are the common features and factors? And value delivery seemed to be one of them. So, you know, projects and products and longstanding products, they're all about delivering value. Uh, and so as we were discussing what should go into this next edition, you know, it, was, it seemed to be value-oriented, um, and that was the common thread. Uh, and, it, you know, it led to quite significant changes that um, Cindy can speak to. And that's exactly right. So if we look at, it's not, we need to talk about not just the type of projects that we're used to with a start and an end, but so how can you do that? You can't really do that if you're in a process model where there's 49 processes, right? So we had to take a look at the standard and say, how can we have a standard for project management that talks about traditional projects where there's a beginning and an end? Um, and maybe it's a infrastructure development project, or maybe it's a system development project, or maybe it's a software project. How do you provide a standard for that? It can't really be a process model anymore. But there's a lot of standards in a lot of other industries that are principle-based. And so I know PMI have been talking for years. I used to be on the um, standards MAG, a member advisory group. And I remember for maybe since 2014, 15, 16, they've been talking about moving to a principle-based standard. And a lot of PMI's other standards are principle-based. You know, the new risk standard is principle-based and um, portfolio and stuff like that. So like the PMBAC guide, it's it's got, you know, such this this mass, right? This mass following. It's like one of the last ones to change over to a principle base. But I think now's the time with the way our profession is evolving. So we, we in the seventh edition, the way it's drafted right now, and it and it's not final yet. I mean, there's nothing that's final yet, but the way it's drafted right now is, is we've got a principle-based standard. And then the guide to the body of knowledge, we also moved away from the process groups and the knowledge areas. And we said, you know, there's performance domains. And I can talk a little bit more about that later. But I mean, that's kind of the shift is how do you how do you present knowledge that you can apply regardless of your delivery method? Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the sixth edition. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the sixth edition. I was the chair for that. And I happen to know my vice chair over in the UK is listening right now. So I had an awesome vice chair for that one and an awesome team. And and we produced this really great sixth edition. And and Mike contributed to that. And Mike did the Agile Practice Guide for the sixth edition. And, And absolutely nothing is wrong in there. It's not like I would say, oh yeah, oh that all that stuff on uh, you know communication, no, that's wrong. We do it different now. No, that's not that it at all, right? It's just we're widening the lens. And when you widen the lens, you have to find a different way to um talk about it. And one of the ways we did that is to, and this is a, another big change, is not focus so much on outputs, but think about outcomes. So an output like a charter or a um, cost management plan or a risk register is important. It's an output, but it's a means to an end. It's a means to an outcome. So when you're managing risk, is it about the risk register? No, it's not about the risk register. You want to anticipate threats and opportunities. You want to deliver with little or no negative impact from unforeseen events. You want to realize opportunities. You want to make sure your cost and schedule reserves are used wisely. That's the outcome you're looking for. The risk register is an artifact 
that enables that. You can use a risk register to achieve, but it's the outcomes that are important. The register is a means to an end, not the end itself. So that's a really long answer. Yeah. Well, you know, let <laughs> so, me let me say as a as a consultant, right, with the PMO squad, this is music to my ears because this is what we've been preaching to clients for the seven plus years we've been in existence that um, results matter, right? It, it isn't uh, the audit that's important that we adhere to the process. It's delivering the project with the result we want. It's almost a salesperson's mindset of, I don't care if you updated CRM, did you close the deal? Mm-hmm. And in the project space, we've been too concerned with, did we update the CRM system, right? We, we haven't been as concerned with, did we deliver the project? So I know we're going to get into more of the detail about this, but I love what I'm hearing so far. Uh, and, and let me even give a practical example on that. That happened this week. A uh, Somebody within the industry reached out to me earlier this week and said, hey, Joe, do you have anything documented that I could purchase from you that is the 49 processes that I can bring to a client engagement so they have that? And I said, well, of course I have that. I don't sell that. That's my intellectual property, right? It's what we use. But why would you ever do that for a customer? As soon as you make an update to that, you have to go in and change all of their their PMO processes because FYI, there's a new PMBOK coming out, right? And those 49 processes are not going to be uh, what's going to be listed in there. This is going to have tremendous impact on our industry. And I hope everybody is listening and understanding what's coming because it's, uh, it certainly doesn't change project management, right? We're all doing what we do anyway. But what we go back to our reference, right, the PMBOK with this sort of change, I think is going to, uh, it's probably going to have more significant change than changing the PMI logo, right? Uh, <laughs> and the logo certainly generated enough conversation for a year. So I, I can't wait to, to hear some more. And especially now, right, we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody is changing the way we work. People are working remote. We're not in the office. We're not uh, getting together the way we used to. So there's this almost a diversity of delivery, right, that we have to be able to handle. And it started well before the pandemic hit. I think it's just become more prevalent because of, of COVID. Mike, what, is there anything in here about diversity of delivery that's important for everybody to understand? Yeah, there's there's a lot in here. Um, previously, you know, the guide was predominantly predictive, um, and it didn't really reflect the full spectrum as well. We we had some sort of agile add-ons considerations, tailoring considerations. We had the agile practice guide, and but they were kind of supplemental and not fundamental to the guide. And so, you know, if we look at some of the PMI's post of the profession reports, they indicate that. 70% of organizations these days are using some agile approaches. So not 100% or not pure agile, but some. Uh, and it really talks to the very large sort of hybrid space in that organizations are leveraging some parts of um, an agile approach, whether it's in communications, whether it's in shorter feedback cycles or a more iterative and incremental approach. Um, and so there was a lot already happening. And I think, you know, what's happened with COVID is that it's introduced yet more uncertainty, yet more um, acceleration of, of digital transformation. You know, organizations have had to find a way to collaborate uh, collaborate electronically uh, to make their product offerings available electronically um, and to have that interaction, right, uh, online. I think it was, you know, it's really supported a lot of the the things that we had in there because of what we've seen in the last six months or so. It's funny, when you were talking about um, outputs and and outcomes, I totally agree with that. We need to be focusing on the outcomes. And it reminded me, there was recently a, a blog post by Mike Cohen, and he was talking about outputs leading to outcomes and how we need to focus on the outcomes more. But what he added was that outcomes are kind of lagging indicators. They come later. Um, And outputs are are more leading indicators. And that was super valuable for me because it it really did 
understand or explain to me, you know, the value of the outputs as well. That's what we have to do today so that we get the the outcomes later. And so for me, it was an interesting takeaway that, yeah, we got to focus on the outcomes, but understand that they're lagging uh, and those outputs are are leading indicators of those. But anyway, to get back to the question, um, yes, the environment has changed. Uh, It's changed again in the last six months. And all that we're seeing is more uncertainty. We're seeing more digitization of how we work together. Uh, And so I think, you know, the seventh edition will really help professionals. You know, one of the common themes we have on the show is we're trying to bring people skills to the forefront. And we talk about the importance of people. Uh, Process is certainly important. The technical skills of project management are, are critical for people to understand them. Uh, but in, in my one of my talks I do out there on the circuit right now is empowering people to deliver results. And I talk about people over process. Uh, because when we when we get caught into the process, what happens if something doesn't fit into the process, right? Your people need to be able to uh, handle that diversity of thought and have that ability to react. So with the, the mindset of people and diversity and project management of the million plus project managers are around the world, right? This isn't a U.S. organization. And certainly that has grown under Sunil's leadership. Who makes up the team that decides, hey, uh, everybody, let's make this drastic change to the way the PMBOK is written? Because I hope it's a good geographic dispersion of, of and representation of our industry. Cindy, you want to jump on that one? Yeah, I do. And uh, I was talking to Mike a little bit earlier today, and it was kind of mind-blowing to realize that about 13 months ago, a little bit more, end of July, um, Mike and I met in San Francisco, and we, (laughs) we had 400 people, more than 400, apply to be on the PMBOK guide team. Wow. I know. <laughs> Jeez. I, wasn't, so... I was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you were like one of the two, right? <laughs> so we had 400 applications and I read so many resumes and there were so many qualified people. I mean, seriously, seriously qualified people. And we were supposed to come up with 10 for the team. How do you do that? <laughs> I know. And so, uh, you know, we spent three days in San Francisco. The We didn't see the city. Literally, we maybe walked four blocks to have, you know, dinner and a beer. And the rest of the time we were going through this stuff. And so we reviewed resumes. We sent out, like we kind of had a, a um, step-by-step. So we identified maybe 150 people that we said, okay, Let's work with these 150, narrow it down to these 150 and send out like some essay questions. So we got answers to essay questions because we wanted to be able to see on the team who has a basic, not basic, an in-depth understanding of predictive, hybrid, adaptive, who can speak to outcomes, who can, um, you know, has a breadth of knowledge, not just deep knowledge in one area. So we kind of reviewed all those questions to make sure we had a balanced team. And we narrowed it down and, you know, maybe to 100, 125, something like that. And then we said, okay, now let's look at this and make sure that we have representation. So Uh, We had representation from Latin America, Asia Pacific, the Middle East, Africa, North America, Europe, India, Oceania. And so um, the way the way we kind of did that is we (laughs) kind of made an executive decision without asking permission that we had to expand the team. (laughs) to 12 people plus Mike and I. And then we knew that we were going to have multiple review teams. So this was a little bit uh, changing our model on how we worked on the seventh edition. We kind of did it iteratively, right? So we would work with the development team 
these 14 people that were from around the globe and in different professions, whether they are organizational users like PMO people, academics, government employees, consultants, trainers, generalists, um, you know, whatever, and also make sure there was a reasonable balance of male to female. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did that both for the development team, but also we had two review teams. So we'd have a development team that would put together what they thought was good, and then we'd send it out to the very creatively named review team one uh, <laughs> <laughs> who had, you know, global representation and they provide a lot of feedback and we take all that feedback and then we'd send it to the even more creatively named review team two. And we usually got less feedback, which said, okay, we are, we are getting better as we go along. So, so the development team and both review teams had global representation, representation across professions, representation, you know, a gender balance in there. And so I feel that the hundreds of hours that we spent reviewing resumes and the days we spent in San Francisco narrowing it down, I could not be more pleased. I was, I got to tell you, it is, I get to work with some of the most, the most bestest minds <laughs> in project management. I do. And it's, it's humbling as I read all these things. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to work with these people and they're going to let me like lead them. And it's, it's incredible to be able to do that. So that's, that's how I feel about the review team. There's amazing people on the review team. A lot of them I'm hooked up with on LinkedIn. And I, I watch these people. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are amazing. And, and the development team, they're like amazing. I listen to stuff that Mike's done. And I listen, um, you, Joe, you were talking about the, the PMO Impact Summit. Federico Vargas was on our team. He's going to be there presenting too. Just it, it is awesome people. Okay, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And, you know, a couple of thoughts on that is, man, how do you down-select from 400? What a, an amazing task for you guys. But also, 400 people, right? That That's an involved community, right? So, uh, you know, when I, when I hear PMBOK, I don't get overly excited. And I can't imagine that there would have been 400 people that volunteered to try to be on this committee. So amazing for our industry to step forward. And then what a tough selection, obviously, for you guys to get down to uh, the different teams that participated in that. And certainly, right, the focus on all of this discussion to this point has been people. You know, Mike, what are your thoughts on how has this shifted here in PMBOK 7th edition, this shift to focus on people maybe more so than process. Yeah, there's been a big shift. If you look at the, like the sixth edition and previous editions of the Pinbot Guide, it was always kind of process heavy. Um, you know, we had all the, the different processes about how we manage, you know, scope and schedule and risk and, and all those other good parts. And there was little bits here and there about building a team and, and it felt lopsided to me. And Separately, as, as a study, I've been looking at, you know, the interplay of people and process. And if you look at the Agile Manifesto, you know, the values there, there are two related to people, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, and the other one being customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And then there are two that are process related, working software and responding to change. And just out of kind of curiosity, because... This is the kind of thing I'm interested in. If you then dive down into the 12 principles, there happen to be six that are people-related and six that are process-related. So there's this nice balance, and it kind of felt right. And it's not just the Agile Manifesto. If you look at, say, uh, Alistair Coburn's Heart of Agile, he talks about four different things, collaborate and reflect, they're people-oriented, and then deliver and improve that are more process-oriented. And it's not just Alistair. If you look at Joshua's Kurevsky's modern agile, you know, he's got four things in that. Two of them are people, two of them are process. And so I think any good kind of approach has that balance because it's really about how do we engage people to, to get some value delivered. 
What I really like about what we've drafted now for the seventh edition is that it's got 12 principles in there that, that Cindy can kind of explain, but five of them are people-based, five of them are process-based, and then we've got two that are a, a combination. You know, they're a blend of both people and process, uh, and those are kind of tailoring um, and also adaptability and resiliency. So I really like the fact that now we've we've got to that balanced approach. So, you know, we've got half of it being focused on people. We've got half of it being pro- focused on the process. And it just feels a lot better. You know, it's more in line with other types of things and uh, more in line with what we do as project managers. You know, it's about, yeah, the work's important, but it's the people that we achieve it through. So we've got to be, you know, looking after the people. So, yeah, I, I really like how it's worked out. Um, you know, there is much more of a balanced presentation of the content between those people aspects and the technical aspects. Yeah, I, I think it's worked out really well. Yeah, it's interesting. As as you started talking on this topic, Mike, I actually start, I went out and was typing in agilemanifesto.com to to pull up the four tenets, and then you, you reference them, right? Because uh, the reality is the project economy statement that came out from PMI uh, last year isn't too far off the Agile Manifesto. The reality is they both talk about people delivering products. And yeah. it, I think we're, we're, we're bringing the two worlds that for, I don't know, maybe the past decade that we've had these two camps, right? The Agilists and the Traditionalists, and they've, they've gone to war to see who was going to win. And reality is the industry won because we both, you use whichever tool you need at the appropriate time. And it sounds like, Cindy, what we're getting in this new edition is just that. It's it's a toolbox of principles of how to be able to go deliver on projects. Is that is that my hearing that correctly? Totally, totally. I think most projects are hybrid now. Take what works. Oh my gosh, don't be bound by your you know, methodology, do what works. If analogous estimating works, do it. If wideband Delphi works, do it. Who cares if one is used in agile and one is used in predictive, do what works, right? So yeah, so what we are thinking in the seventh edition is that the standard and the guide, while they're two separate publications, um, traditionally they've been bound together and they will be bound together. um, And while the content isn't finalized, what we've got today is we've got the standard for project management, and that includes some information um, where we talk about value delivery, like a system for value delivery. And then there's 12 principles of project management. Um, I can, I'll, I'll read you kind of the labels, not the principle. The principle is a little bit longer, but kind of the labels so you can get a flavor for what's in there. So Things about being a diligent, respectful, and caring steward, creating a collaborative project team environment, effectively engaging with stakeholders, focus on value, recognize, evaluate, and respond to system interactions, demonstrate leadership behaviors, tailor based on context, build quality into your processes and deliverables navigate complexity, optimize risk responses, embrace adaptability and resiliency, and enable change to achieve the envisioned future state. So those are kind of the draft of what I would call the principal labels. And and if you're reading, you know, if you're listening to that, and if you're leading a team that uses adaptive or agile methods, or you're leading a team that uses waterfall or predictive methods, is there any time you would not want to engage effectively with stakeholders? Is there any time you wouldn't tailor based on the context? Would you ever not want to optimize your risk responses? (laughs) So, you know, you've got these 12 principles and that's what we needed to do is we needed to expand our standard to be inclusive of this hybrid environment we're finding ourselves in. So that's kind of what the principles do. And then in in the guide to the body of knowledge, separate from the standard, 
Um, we moved to performance domains because a lot of the other uh, standards products were dealing with performance domains. And when I say performance domains, it's not a thing, you know, because like when we when we talked about knowledge areas, it had a specific meaning. Um, a, a, a domain is just it's just a group of related activities. Right. So we're looking at what are a natural grouping of project related activities. So we have domains of stakeholders. There's a bunch of stuff we do in projects around stakeholders. We have a domain of team. There's a bunch of stuff we do with team. We have a domain for the development approach and life cycles. Planning. Project work. That's what we do, right? The project work. Delivery. That's what a lot of our team does. They're focused on the delivery. Uncertainty. And measurement. And kind of circling back to what we talked about earlier, each performance domain has these desired outcomes. So, for example, if we look at the team domain, the team performance domain indicates that shared ownership, a high-performing team, applicable leadership behaviors and interpersonal skills are demonstrated by all team members. So you want your team members to kind of own the outcomes. You want your team members to demonstrate interpersonal skills and leadership um, behaviors regardless of who is leading or if you don't have an assigned leader, you want all your team members to be able to demonstrate those leadership behaviors like um, decision-making and collaboration and effective communication. All those things that are leadership behavior should be demonstrated by all your team members. And then the content in there, like in the team performance domain, you would have a high-level high-level discussion. By the way, did I mention 250 pages instead of 750 pages? So high-level. I might actually read it now. (laughs) (laughs) It it might still be a sleep aid, but less so. (laughs) But um, yeah, we talk about key elements such as like in in the team one, centralized or distributed team management and leadership. Common aspects about team development, team culture. What about team culture? Each each team has its own culture. What about high-performing teams? And again, those leadership skills like critical thinking and motivation and um, emotional intelligence. So, you know, you can, in listening here, you can tell big departure. Yeah, I, did, I didn't hear knowledge areas. None. So, Ain't no knowledge areas. So we it's not just what we did here, it's also what's coming out, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So knowledge areas and process groups are not in this edition. This is, uh, again, I, I hope our listeners are picking up on it. I mean, this is a dramatic shift from maybe 50 years of history, right? I mean, this is a right turn at a traffic signal. This is... This is not like the next edition. This is the new edition. Um, and it's going to be a new way of project management. And part of that, right, is you talked about the tailoring and adjusting projects based on the need. Mike, what can you share more of what tailoring means to us? Certainly. Uh, yeah, I can. And like you say, it is a big departure. And, and some people, you know, will have an attachment to what was there before. And I think we should explain that a lot of the how-to guidance, if we're going from 750 pages down to a target closer to 250, there's a lot of material coming out, like um, Cindy says, but it's not necessarily meaning we're, we're throwing that stuff away. There's going to be a supporting digital um, platform called Standards Plus, where a lot of the how-to information is, is housed. And uh, with it being a digital platform, you'd be able to search it and filter it. So if you're interested only in predictive approaches, you could put the little predictive flag on, or if you want agile or hybrid, you could check those and then search for requirements or um, risk management or whatever, and find how-to guidance on that. So we are reducing what's in the standard and the guide, but not necessarily, you know, totally removing that. But uh, to get to tailoring, you know, it, it's always been important. It's probably not been emphasized enough. 
previously, um, but all of these approaches need to be used with some intelligence, right? And so the tailoring process now has four different steps in it. The first is to select the approach that you really need for your project. So are you going to be using a largely predictive or more of a hybrid approach where you be blending some elements of, of Agile in there or Lean or Kanban or whatever you want to use and whatever comes next beyond um, Agile, right? So um, hopefully there's new and better ways being discovered all the time and we want to be inclusive of those two. So the tailoring process talks about selecting the most appropriate approach up front and then tailoring that for your organization. So, you know, if you're in the pharmaceuticals um, industry, you might have FDA regulation that you have to be, you know, aware of and, and build into your projects. So each organization has its own governance and its own standards and its own way of, you know, approving and managing and running a project. And so we have to be tolerant of those types of tailoring opportunities and needs, right? So select your approach, tailor for your organization, and then tailor for your project. Because a small project that's just doing something internally doesn't need the rigor as a large project, you know, that's potentially life critical. So we wouldn't do air traffic control um, at the same level of rigor. We would hopefully have a lot more rigor around that than we would perhaps for some uh, time tracking um, application that we use internally in our organization, right? So tailor for the project. So that involves looking at characteristics such as, you know, the criticality of what we're building, as I just mentioned. Is it money that's at stake? Is it essential funds? Is it, you know, potentially life critical? And then we'd also look at other characteristics such as what is the size of the project? Uh, in terms of stakeholders and development uh, team members, because that impacts how we tackle communications uh, and how much has to be documented and, and you know formally recorded. So we look at the size, we look at the criticality, we look at what is it that we're actually trying to build our product or service or change. You know, is it something that we can visually uh, demonstrate? Is it something that, you know, we can point at and say, we need one of these? Is it new and unique? Or have we done 20 of them before? Because that impacts the approach that we will take, right? So we look at a whole bunch of project characteristics. And then the last step is that we make sure that the tailoring process isn't a once and done approach for our project. So at regular intervals, we meet with the team and stakeholders and say, hey, how's this approach that we've selected for this project working out for us? You know, if we are getting perhaps lots of defects reported, well, then maybe we need to, you know, increase the rigor around confirming requirements or acceptance test criteria or, you know, testing that we're building the right thing before we try and uh, move on to the next chunk. So it's an ongoing process, tailoring has this active step of making sure it's working for us and uh, continuing the process. So it's kind of exciting. You know, we're not presenting a single, here is how you run your project, whether it's three people or 300 people. We're at, you know, actively saying, you've got to tailor it based on common sense, the tools available and the environment you work in, which is what everybody kind of knew. But it's nice, I think, to lay that out in a sequence and let people have a discussion around that so that they can, you know, with all their stakeholders, figure out the most appropriate way of, of executing their projects. So we've heard a little bit about uh, process groups and knowledge areas out, principles in, tailoring in. Cindy, anything else that we, we should expect to see in there? Yeah, and let me just um, talk about this. So the final section we have is on models, methods, and artifacts. And so a model is like a thinking strategy to explain a process or a framework or a phenomenon. So for example, we have models for situational leadership, communication, motivation, conflict management, planning, and some others. And again, like tailoring, and I like how Mike said, you know, common sense, right? Use these models as a place to start from and then tailor them to your situation. So we've got some models in there. And then methods and artifacts. So a method 
is a means for achieving an outcome, output, result, or project deliverable. So we've called them techniques, right? Tools and techniques sounds a little bit like it. Method is a little bit more inclusive, right? So uh, for example, we have methods for data gathering and analysis. We have methods for estimating, for meetings and events, and modeling, time boxing, prioritizing. So for example, like um, we have a group of methods in estimating, and we have a, a brief discussion, when I say brief, like three lines, about affinity grouping, analogous estimating, multi-point estimating, relative estimating, wideband Delphi, and, and other ones as well. So there's a mix of methods that are used in predictive environments and adaptive environments. And what's great is if you're used to working in one type of environment, it's really nice to look at options that maybe you aren't so familiar with. And I remember one of the people in review team two, she had reviewed this section on models, methods, and artifacts. And she says, this was great. I learned a lot of new things. I'm like, yes, score, you know? So that's exactly how we can do it. And I know as I'm, I'm developing some courses and stuff, I'll go through this and I'll say, hmm, which would be the best one given this case study I'm developing? What methods should we use? And then an artifact, when we talk about artifacts, we think about outputs. It can be a template. It can be a document. It can be a deliverable. So, for example, we have our um, strategy artifacts, like a business case, logs and registers, plans, like our cost management plan, reports, visual data and information, contracts. And those are all examples of artifacts. So, in the section on logs and registers, we might cover assumption logs, backlogs, change logs, stakeholder registers, risk registers, and other things like that. And again, since it's at a very high level, and this is not a how-to, and this is not what's in those logs, it's literally just a description of them. Um, so let's see if I can find something to give you an idea about what I'm talking about. Logs and registers. Okay. Risk-adjusted backlog. A risk-adjusted backlog is a backlog that includes work and actions to address threats and opportunities. Boom, that's it. No how-to. Now, that's how, by the way, we got down to 250-ish pages. People are going to say, but wait a minute. How do I find out that information? And Mike alluded to it. You go to www.standardsplus.pmi.org, and that's in, in beta version now. But there's a lot more discussion, a lot more information available at Standards Plus on how you would work with a risk register or a risk-adjusted backlog. Or, or you could go to www.thepmosquad, and we'd love to help you understand how to do that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> all, the PMO it, Squad. Well, <laughs> well, I think what it, it's open, the reason I say that is, obviously, it's, it's my company. But in the industry, right, it's going back to a consultive mindset as opposed to a, an authoritarian view of the PMI being big brother, saying this is how you need to do it. And it's an entrepreneurial mindset within each project manager of how do I need to do my job? And I love that, right? I think that's amazing. It's it's kind of this, the continued evolution of PMI into, you know, kind of version 2.0, we'll call it with, you know, started a little bit with the new logo. Um, and then the PMP is going to be changing and the REP programs are now different. It's right, the ATP, I think it's called. And now we're following that up with PM, uh, the PMBOK evolving you know listen i got a lot of gray hair i know what was in the old pembok mike how do i use this new one because you know, am i gonna have to get recertified like am i gonna have to retake my driver's lessons because they they were teaching how to drive a car here is is totally different what how are we going to use this thing yeah you're right it is very different and uh you know all these changes look and feel weird when we first get exposed to them um but I saw the old PMI logo today and it looked really kind of old fashioned now. You know, you get used to the new one. And I was really taken aback when I saw it at the conference last year for the first time. Um, but then I saw a web page today that had the old, you know, blue and white one on there. And I was thinking, man, that kind of looks old and dated. And I think, you know, we'll have the same impression once we get over the change here too. So we're going to have the much smaller 250-ish page 
standard and guide. And then the other content will be on that standards plus platform. So this is how we use it. We use the combination of those two things. And what that standards plus platform allows us to do is to, um, like you said, it's more entrepreneurial. These things emerge. You know, we might find out about a new approach. Maybe you want to use um, Lean Startup and have something like um, uh, Discovery Canvas or some new tool that becomes very popular that's super hard to incorporate into the Pinbot guide because the refresh cycle is in years. But all this fast-moving content could be loaded into a digital platform like Standards Plus um, a lot more quickly. And this is what I think the change enables PMI to do is to be able to respond to industry trends and project practitioner needs more quickly. So People will be able to use the new um, guide in a couple of ways. I think people that are new to project management can start with the guide and and get oriented around what's important. So I think that's a great starting point for people who are new. I mean, if you were new to project management and got handed the Pinbot guide, it's, it's daunting by its size. There's so much in there and it's, it's, you know, a lot of, inputs, outputs, tools, and techniques, and and hard to read. So I think it will be more readable. But I did struggle when we were talking about the new structure to kind of visualize what these principles and um, performance domains, what was the difference between them and how do you relate them? And a metaphor that was shared with me, and it's kind of stuck because I like to have a simple model to work with, is that The principles in the guide are like guiding stars. They're kind of high up there. Um, It's not really giving you any concrete details, but they help us navigate, right? So you got principles around being a diligent, respectful, and caring steward, you know, tailoring based on context, focus on value. These are all things that we can use in our day-to-day navigation. So the principles help us navigate. They're like stars in the night sky. And then these performance domains that Cindy was talking about are just stuff that you go do. It's like terrain or land that you traverse as you execute your project. So all projects need some planning. They all need something to do with teams and other stakeholders. We've got to tackle uncertainty. We've got to focus on delivery. And those are the actual domains. So, you know, my simple model is these principles are our navigation guiding stars and these domains are the just things that we have to go through, the terrain that we traverse um, as we go. And so how people would use it is that you would read the guide, understand the principles, help use those to make our decisions. And then depending upon you know, your level of project manager, if you've got a bit more experience, you could perhaps use the standard for some learning objectives and, and navigations during issue resolution. So if you have a problem, you can go to the principles and say, okay, well, how do I tailor based on context or how do I navigate complexity or optimize risk responses? Those principles will help us there. You know, if you are more experienced, you might look to the uh, methods, um, models, methods, and artifacts for some concrete um, ideas such as, you know, taking an economic view of decision-making, using value stream mapping or the cost of delay or some of those techniques that we've got in there. And if you were, you know, even more experienced, perhaps in the PMO, then I think the principles would be really useful for um, defining or giving some guidance to the project managers and practitioners in our organizations, right? I think we can get behind the principles because they are universal and they apply no matter what life cycle um, you're dealing with. So it's nice that they aren't, you know, or these three are for predictive and those two are for agile and these four, you know, fit kind of hybrid. No, they all apply to all projects all of the time. So, So that's really good. So, yeah, there's many ways that we can interact with it and use it. And so I, th- I think it's a lot more flexible. And because a lot of the how-to stuff is on that digital platform now, um, we can search through it. We're not searching through a big thick book. And um, we can filter it based on our industry or domain or approach. 
and see it get updated as new approaches are, you know, ratified or approved or, you know, just meet that critical mass of use, I guess. And also we're hoping, you know, it's still a beta platform, but we're hoping that we can actually put examples. So why not, you know, download a template for one of these tools or approaches? Why not have a look at a couple of completed ones for a small project, a medium-sized project, and a large project? There's a lot more we can do with a digital platform. If we think about how we learn these days, you know, if I'm stuck on something, I often go on YouTube to find a a how-to video about it. And uh, we can't do that with a paper book, but we can absolutely create videos, audios, webinars, all that good stuff on a digital platform and really just catch up with how people learn and research today. And I think this platform, along with the guide, will really, you know, position PMI to where they need to be. Like you said, you know, like the 2.0 organization to support practitioners moving forward. Again, all of this is great change. And I I think back to when I started my company, the PMO Squad, I did it with leadership, purpose, and people delivering results. And everything I'm hearing is that's what the new PMBOK is talking about. And And again, I know that's an oversimplification But it's great to see PMI finally coming on board with what I preached seven years ago. So thank you for having uh, the foresight to come along with the people in the industry that are practitioners, right? The people who are using this thing. This is what what, what I love to hear. We're getting close to the end of the show. And Cindy, we'll let you kind of get last word on all this. But do we know when this is coming out, right? I I can't wait. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I can't wait to read the PMBOK. When is that gonna? When's it gonna hit the stores for all of us, or when can we get our free download right with our PMI membership? Yeah, I think the current plan is Q1 in 2021. Obviously, there's been some delays with COVID, um, especially in the concept of, of translating. You know, this has to be translated into 12 different languages before it can hit the bricks. So, I'm thinking first quarter of 2021. Okay. All right. Well, uh, again, I, I'm kind of stunned over here hearing all of this because it is such a dramatic change and actually a, a positive change. I can't wait to to read this and see uh, the changes. I think it's going to be fantastic. And for all of the people that are going to be having to you know teach for the PMP, boy, what a shift for them to be able to, to teach these new students that will be coming up. Universities, of course, that now have project management programs. Uh, just a big giant shift in our industry. So thank you both for sharing all of this with me. And I know this is kind of high surface conversation. So maybe when it comes out, we get you back on and we can talk through some of the detail of that. Uh, Totally great. And thank you, Joe. Thanks so much for giving Mike and I a voice on your program to talk about this. We're obviously very passionate about it. So thanks so very much for having us. Certainly. And Cindy, how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, continue the conversation with you offline? Is there a way for them to get in touch with you? Or do you have anything coming up that you want to share with anyone? Yeah. So please feel free to follow me on LinkedIn or or message me on LinkedIn is a really good way to do that. In fact, um, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to say I have a new LinkedIn learning course dropping today on project leadership. So that's super exciting. So I think I'll probably put up a link to be able to take that free so, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and, and drop a, a note if you want anything. I am available for instructional design, training, contracting, consulting. So there you go. Awesome. Thank And thanks for offering that uh, to our listeners as well. I appreciate that. And Mike, how can uh, folks get in touch with you? And is there anything that you um, would like to share with the audience as well? Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity today. It's been great to be able to talk about this now. Um, people can reach me on LinkedIn as well. Um, my website's leadinganswers.com. And I've got a new book coming out later this year, early next, called Beyond Agile. So people can look for that. But until then, yeah, LinkedIn is a great way to to reach me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Cindy and Mike. And uh, just shout out to Chris Kopp, who is a former guest, uh, had got in touch with me last week and let me know that several people had reached out to him about the performance review templates that he had talked about. So if uh, you liked what you heard today from Cindy and Mike, reach out to them. I'm sure they've got plenty of tools that they had talked about and they could help you with. Thank you also to all of our listeners. 
Of course, we don't exist if we don't have listeners, so we appreciate uh, you taking time to listen to our great guests and share your feedback with me to make sure that we're headed in the right direction and bringing on the people that you want to hear from. Be sure to visit Project Management Office Hours. Uh, see all of the great shows that we've had on, the guests, and the content we've produced out there. And see the, the amazing lineup of guests that we have coming up. Elizabeth Heron will be joining us on the next episode from the UK. We'll follow that up with our first guest from India, Priya Patcher, will be joining. Peter Taylor then uh, joining again from the UK. Ben Aston from Canada. Jason Westland, the founder of ProjectManager.com. Cornelius Fickner here in Tucson. Karen Bondale from Canada, another Canadian we'll be bringing on. And then our first African guest, Billy Mwapwe, will be joining us from Zambia uh, as the first show in 2021. So an amazing lineup as we take it into next year. Also, uh, go out and subscribe to the podcast on Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice. And of course, thanks for our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management services. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.